It's here! Uh, I kid you not, it's here! Go to the app, go to the app store, look for yourself, I'm serious, go, and download it, and take a look. <laughs> I'm dying. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today I sit down with Louise Omar, also known as Holy Woman. She's traveling the world to understand women's roles in modern-day religion. In 2017, she left behind a marriage, a community, and possessions to meet women around the world, asking, where is their place in religion, and can a woman be holy in a patriarchal religion? She's inviting us to join her on this epic journey, which started in Australia and is taking her to Ireland, Sweden, Mexico, Bulgaria, Kenya, and beyond. I do have to say that during this interview, I was emergency babysitting my niece, and at times it's obvious she's in the background. I want to apologize to you and to Lou for this. I tried really hard to scrub the audio track of her vocals, but um, those baby screeches really stick. Good news is she's a woman too, and so maybe just we just needed like a little bit of that younger energy in the room. So I think it was a good thing. Anyway, let's start the show. So you are writing a book called Holy Woman. Mm-hmm, correct. Which um, asks the questions about can women ever achieve equal status in a religion that worships a male deity? And does it damage female believers to worship a male god? Which has taken you, where are you right now? Oh, you have totally got the point of it in words that I have used before. So thank you, Crystal. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm actually only in my first stop, first, uh, first country. I left Australia um, two months ago. So I'm from Australia. I'm from my hometown is Adelaide, yeah. um, which is in a place that we call Ghana land, the Aboriginal region that I'm from. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we I left November 6th, uh-huh. and I've been traveling in different parts of Ireland, in the cities and in a few rural areas for uh-huh. the past two months. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. What made I you was, get off of your couch, though? I mean, uh, that's well, like the okay. first step. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, number one, I had a pretty big life change. Like I, um, a marriage ended that I've been in since I was 22, and we've been together since I was 16. Um, yeah, so like – and then I left a community. I left behind possessions. Um, I guess uh, with that change, things, those things didn't seem to matter to me so much. And and also once I left the sort of like um, reinforcing com- um, ideology, like, you know, you go to church every week. And I was a leader in the community as well. I was preaching. Yeah. Um, uh, so like once you leave that sort of like constant um, – reinforcing the questions that I had sort of like uh, put aside or just like only partly answered just kind of really bubbled up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess I wanted to find other, like outside of my own small bubble. Wait, what do you mean that is this kind of bubbled up throughout oh, your I life? Guess, I did read, yeah. there is um, mm-hmm. an article that you have online yes. on the yeah. Wheeler Center where mm-hmm. you kind of mm-hmm. chronologically, chrono- what is the word I'm looking for? 
<laughs> yeah, I think you got it chronologically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you lay out um, a bit of a of a history of like mm-hmm. this this constant thought that keeps bumbling up in your head. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. is why are all things related to God masculine? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Mary Daly, who's a, a feminist theologian, that's from Ireland, actually. Well, I think she's Irish American. She said, if if man is oh, what is it? If uh, God is man, then man is God. And so it's kind of like, um, I guess, the concept that, uh, I mean, that's about patriarchal authority, is, is that men become sort of like big authorities in our life because God is God is a man. But um, yeah. really it's the, really the questions that I had that you asked about is that why are women depicted as inferior and can, that, can I continue on in that mindset? Mm-hmm. And so a lot, a lot of people will say, I love my friends, and I used to say this, you know, like, uh, especially people who are um, – so I come from a Pentecostal background. There's a really big focus um, on, like, a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, my church background was very uh, progressive, Christ- uh, progressive, like, uh, politically. Mm-hmm. So we came from always, like, a liberation theology background where, you know, Jesus is about equaling social hierarchy and, um, you know, on the side of the vulnerable and the oppressed. So therefore he's on the side of women because, you know, the way he acted towards women. However, like um, that's only part of the story that is in the book that we would read every week, you know. So, um, so like that's still a male-centric story um, and then all these foundational ideas that – have uh, lay lay the groundwork for how we think about women in our religion is that women are inf- inferior. So, I mean, it comes from like the sort of Greek philosophy, like Aristotle um, ideas of women. Oh, what was it? Um, and Thomas Thomas Aquinas. I think in, I think I'm saying his word, his name right. I wouldn't um, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so all these kind of like basic groundwork of um, ideas. Um, uh, I mean, there's Saint Paul in. I think it's. Corinthians or Ephesians, I can't remember now, but it's about, you know, like, let a woman be silent. And then there's, um, you know, the concept of uh, male headship in marriage and a, a woman must submit to her husband. And he's meant to serve her like like Jesus serves the church, but I still think that's a, I mean, a very incomplete way. Yeah. So very many themes, like, like, wrapped up into this and also the story of your life. And like, mm, you know, cause you're talking about God, of course, and you're talking about females, female and male and gender role mm-hmm, and sex mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. hierarchy in marriage. And also, yeah. you know, your role in the church and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, did, I mean, I don't, I don't want to ask questions that you don't want to answer and you don't have to answer yeah. them, but yeah. did your, uh, how you evolved, um, with your ideologies and these, this like one looming question, how you evolved, did that also affect your, your marriage? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, so my ex-husband's a very good man. Um, but leaving, uh, the marriage was definitely, uh, linked to me disentangling my idea of male authority, like mm-hmm. the way I had conceived of him and the way I had conceived of men, in my life were as authorities that essentially, and I could have never said this in such an explicit of terms a year ago, Mm. but essentially obeyed because um, they're an authority in my life. 
Yeah. Tell me so more. It's, it is all linked. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about the Pentecostal faith. Like it is very patriarchal. I don't know much about it at all. But yeah. Was, was your husband yeah. a part of the faith as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, I didn't grow up going to church. I started going to church when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, so your brother took it was, to church. yeah. Oh, thanks for remembering <laughs> in my story. Yeah. He's, um, there was a, a youth part, uh, a chaplain at my high school and my brother and his friends got along with him really well. So they started going to church. He was also the youth pastor at my, um, my local, my local church. Um, and it's actually uh, like he's a he's a beautiful man, and he was the pastor of the church that I just left a few months ago okay. um, when I left Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So we've been friends for years. He was like um, he was maybe the best man at our wedding and stuff. So yeah, um, mm. so <laughs> as you can see, it's all into into the wrap. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the church I started going to in Australia it was uniting, but had very strong Pentecostal vibes, which mean we sang and and kind of danced and in worship music. And um, uh, I don't know how would you describe Pente- Pentecostal was very big emphasis on the Holy Spirit. So like, um, I mean, when yeah. I went to a Pentecostal church one time mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. touring with Soul Force, and oh yeah, it was yeah. And it was it was a lot for me because usually, I mean, Adventists we sit in a pew, and oh, we don't wow. even allow clapping. Right? It's yeah. like if somebody delivers a really moving sermon or solo, you know, you say Amen. Mm. You don't clap. You don't move anything. Yeah. And so yeah. going to a Pentecostal church where everybody is like feeling the spirit, as in not in their pews, clapping, mm-hmm. singing, mm-hmm. moving, dancing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then being taken over by the Holy Spirit and showing uh, yeah. their, I guess, their oneness, you know, with what's yeah. happening in the church by speaking yeah. in tongues and falling mm-hmm. over. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. when, when I grew up, it was my uh, my parents and uh, people around me, around us would say, that's not how you praise the Lord. That's <laughs> not, that's yeah. not real, you know, but how dare we, you know? <laughs> Yeah. How yeah. dare, how dare we? Which is not, you know, not what I believe now. But yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's funny. Within all different systems, there are uh, within all social groups, there are elements of like punishment and reward if you don't fit into what's the the <laughs> appropriate way of doing something. So yeah. we all have it, and so therefore, you know, like I always really wanted to speak in tongues, but it never just happened. Yeah. But I kind of felt left out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and there's a few times actually where, I, you know, many times where I was like praying and people prayed for me and I wanted to fall over, but I don't know. It didn't happen either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen it and it, it opened up this whole door for me about trying mm. to understand mm-hmm. um, uh, different kinds of spirits and, mm. you know, mm. what, what you worship actually does consume your heart. And um, mm. at one point, I mean, when I was in, in high school, and I was actually at a public school, one of my friend's moms was demon-possessed. And mm. it took a lot to understand that, you know, there are different spirits and, and, and things in the world, and you mm. have to be careful what you open your heart up to. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I absolutely agree with that um, to an extent. Like, I have been in circumstances where... <laughs> I guess people were demon possessed. I don't know if I would still use that terminology, but yeah. yeah, And it's very strange and it's very strange. Um, but I do 
I do love that, uh, and I haven't completely left this behind, I do love that sort of really intangible engagement with the divine. Mm. Um, I, I guess, like, it's quite closely related to intuition because a, a lot of people mm. would say in a Pentecostal system, even outside of church environments, like, I feel led by the Spirit to do this, which yeah. means that something within them was compelling them to talk yeah. to a certain person or yeah. buy someone a coffee or whatever. Um, I really like that phrasing yeah. a lot more than um, God told me to do it. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, because you can get away yeah. with a lot and people, and I, I just can't uh, tag along with that, that line. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's interesting as well because, um, you know, one thing I've come, one idea I've come across a little bit is I was talking to a, like a Celtic spiritualist in Ireland and she was like um, talking about how within a patriarchal religion it's always about the authority, whether you can or can't do this, you know, especially in Ireland there's so yeah. many rules in, in, within this tradition, the Catholic tradition. But like um, a sort of more engagement with the feminine aspect of the divine is that um, it's inner wisdom that comes from side of you. And I feel like there's an element of that that um, is related to the whole how we how I perceived the Holy Spirit mm. in the past. Um, do you still consider yourself uh, Pentecostal? Mm, no, I don't think I can put any labels on myself right now. I'm exploring crystals. I see that. I I'm see a that. <laughs> I think it's quite amazing that you just you know picked up and and just started to go out into the world to ask these questions, and oh, you are taking you. us along with you. <laughs> oh, can, well, can I just say that like. I mean, even though, like I like I said before, I really um, do feel often um, the interaction with God um, mm -hmm. within me, and so I would say that this is a call in my life. Okay. Um, to use Christian language, uh, it's something I've always wanted to travel, but in this, I feel so completely directed on this path, as if something is guiding me. Um, and I can't explain it. And it's almost like all I need to know is the next step ahead. I don't know where this journey will take me. It's a dark, it's a dark path, but all I know is like yeah. just the next step. So I feel completely guided. And and um, I, and like this has been proven over and over again. Like I turn up at events and I'm like, well, I turn out in a place to investigate something and I've arrived just at the right time. Or, or like even the first time I went to church in Ireland, I went to a mass in a seaside town called Hoth on a Sunday morning and, um, the you know the priest was wearing green because <laughs> it's Ireland and everyone wears green in <laughs> and um, so I left this little chapel and stepped out and it was like softly raining as often happens in this country Aww. and um, there was this enormous rainbow across the sky and I know it's a cliche but like I was no. like oh my god so like I, I ran up to the nearest hill this like little uh, look out on a tower that overlooked the pier in the harbour. And I saw, that, like, the entire rainbow stretching across mm. this little tiny port city. No, I believe. Was, yeah, it was incredible. Like, a very strong confirmation of the yeah. journey that I'm on, it felt. I believe yeah. in the power of rainbows as a sign. Yeah. I really yeah. do. There was um, one time, I think, in 2013 or maybe 2012 when I was um, – I was par I partnered with my friend Mason, and mm -hmm. we decided mm -hmm. to go and do some uh, queer faith social justice work in California, and in mm -hmm. we stopped in Iowa, I think, 
And for a time, it was really hard to get the money together. And then we were like, are we going to do this or not? And yeah. we ended up doing it and stopping at like uh, five or six different uh, universities with, you know, mm-hmm. who, you know, had issues with LGBT people. Um, yeah. And then also went to a couple different community centers and churches and, mm. you know, did these workshops for a project yep. that I was doing called the Identity mm. Kit. And um, when I was flying out there, I was thinking, what am I doing? Is this a really good idea? How <laughs> are we going to, are we going to find the right housing? Some of it wasn't mm. even planned and paid for. Um, mm-hmm. And on the plane, when I looked out, I saw like this giant rainbow that we were flying mm. through. And for me, that was a promise from God to say, no, it's going to be all right. And yeah. what you're doing is following your heart and it doesn't yeah. make much sense to most people, <laughs> yeah. let alone yeah. financially, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but yeah. it was such a successful trip and I still have friends that I have and I hold dear to my heart because of, you know, what we did wow. that, at that time. So, what an incredible experience. So your, your, your rainbow, I think is definitely a beautiful thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because like um, doing this is a really big choice to every day confront uncertainty. And I think the way we live our lives in many situations is we you know we um, do as much as we can to create security and uh, uncertainty around us. And I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. <laughs> I'm just open to what can happen. But the thing is, you you have to be allow yourself the uncertainty so that you can be open to incredible Amen. things happening. Yeah. What kind of, what, what questions are you asking yourself right now and what methods are you using to seek out the answers? Because I know you are talking to women, right? That's, mm, that's like mm, the goal. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess, let me think. Um, the questions I'm asking are how are women engaging with religion or how, and, then, and then how can I engage with religion? Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, a big thing within Celtic Christianity, which is, it's sort of a, I guess, uh, it's almost like a new agey sort of movement in a way, but like there are, it seems almost like an alternative to the, the, the extreme cynicism people have in Ireland to <laughs> Catholicism at the moment. Um, so I'm asking myself, like, how are people engaging with God? How can I engage with the divine beyond this sort of like rigid male centric way? And so one of them one of those principles within Celtic Christianity that I've come across is um, encountering God in nature. So mm. I've been going to these incredible places. Oh, like um, what? I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, the western coast of Ireland is meant to be, um, you know, very mysterious and in some ways it feels like the edge of the world. So John O'Donoghue is an incredible Irish poet that passed away a few years ago and I've been reading his book Anamkara. It's kind of guiding me through um, Ireland and yeah. and he kind of spoke about yeah the western coast like the Connemara um, and there's these places called like the Cliffs of Mower um, as really uh, uh, almost yeah just ways that you encounter God in in like it's just raw and 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 uh, like the landscape there are these incredible black rocks and it's mm. like craggy and the wind is howling especially in mm-hmm. winter because we're in the middle of winter here it's very cold it can be like I don't know it hasn't really gone down below maybe zero degrees yet mm-hmm. while I've been here but it's mostly around six degrees when you're outside yeah which is very cold to an Australian from South Australia <laughs> thank you very much um <laughs> yeah sorry. so that's so an- can I just tell you oh sorry go on no you, I, I want to hear what you have to say okay so uh, 
like one incredible way uh, I've done this is I went to a place called the Aran Islands, which is um, off the west coast of, um, of Galway Bay. And you take a little ferry there. And when I went there, it was just an incredibly misty day. Like it was white all around the ferry. And I stayed out on the edge for a while, like on outside, but then it got a bit too choppy. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm a bit, a little bit seasick. And you was meant to concentrate on the horizon. But mm-hmm. there was no horizon because it was so misty. You couldn't see anything. Oh. We are like, moving through clouds. Sounds like Hobbit um, land or, like, leprechauns <laughs> oh, or, you know. Oh, there's heaps. God, I, I mean, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, to be quite honest, in my <laughs> teenage life that I don't want to talk about too much to no, ruin my street dope. cred. But, um, <laughs> like, like, yeah, there, I do encounter reminders of um, – Lord of the Rings landscapes a lot. Oh, that's um, really cool. Yeah, yeah. And so um, we uh, we got to the island. I hired a bike and I just rode my bike through clouds of fog, essentially, um, rolling green hills. Um, so this is uh, Inishmore, with the biggest of the three Aran Islands. And um, it is covered with all these old Celt, uh, sorry, Christian monuments. So, like, mm. um, there's a lot of history of monasticism in Ireland and um, there seemed to be quite a lot like I don't know but I'm gonna not good with the timings here but like some buildings were like 800 years old as old stone ruins that have been overcome by moss and old mm. churches and everywhere it's wonderful and so this is one place that's kind of the biggest tourist spot in Inishmore called Don Angus and um, it's like sort of an old fort there's like meant to be um uh, there, before even Christianity colonised the island, um, mm. there was lots of, like, uh, power and stuff there. Um, so I went there and I walked up. It's almost like a pilgrimage. You have to kind of, like, walk up this sort of all these soft, slippery, not soft, um, like slippery rocks. Um, it's a bit mm. uneven. It's, like, not asphalt. It's not smooth. Um, and it was just... The fog was so dense. I'd, I'd ridden through fog to get this place. I parked my bike because you couldn't bring the bike, the bike any further. Mm. And I climbed up to this fort and I entered the surrounding, it's like a ring fort, um, and there's lots of green grass. And I could hear the ocean and I was like, is that an ocean or is there like, you know, some someone's driving a tractor somewhere? I don't know yeah. what's happening. The fog was so thick I couldn't see much at all. And then so I crept towards the edge. There's like a bit of a stone monument and suddenly I'm at, I'm at the edge of this cliff and, Ooh. like, 30 feet below, the ocean is crashing against these black rocks. Mm. And, Crystal, I've never felt terror in my life before, but I can honestly say I, I, I almost, like, like, I was, like, hyperventilating a little bit. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was just confronted with the might of the ocean oh. and I did not expect it. I could even barely see it because the, the white was so thick around me. Um, it was very mysterious. Yeah. And, yeah, and so it just felt like I was at the edge of the world. Oh, and, and there you found yeah. God. And, and I just, it was interesting God. way of in, just encountering the might of the divine. And it yeah. was completely within the ocean, within the landscape, within the nature that's beneath our feet. You know, it's it comes from the earth. And it's it, so you know, raw. Yeah, yeah, and it's the idea to that, say the least. yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and the and it's like the idea that God is not separate from us in the sky, but actually all around in the nature that we encounter. Mm. I had a moment like that over the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my family is from Zambia, Africa, so we went back mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my cousins was getting married, 
and mm-hmm. it was really hard to separate myself from my phone because I just spent so much time on it. Yeah. And like the deeper into our planned trip that we got, the less reception there was because we were, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we were going out into the boonies and then uh, we ended up on a, on a safari. Um, and once you're on a, like, on a safari at the edge of mm-hmm. uh, what is, I guess, organized, planned um, uh, cities or just like mm. back road, you know, when you're like on the edge of it and then, and then you're beyond it and then you're in no man's land, mm. um, you know, I lost contact with my phone and then I stopped carrying it around, you know, even to take wow. pictures. And yeah. there was one time when um, after we went out and you know, we saw a bunch of animals um, on the safari and came back to the the little, uh, wherever we were staying, can't remember what it's mm. called, and um, had some drinks. Um, one of the tour guides uh, lit up a fire and me and a couple other cousins sat around the fire chatting. And then mm-hmm. we looked up and I mean, that is something that, I just don't get when I'm in the city, even when, you know, I go out into the country of the U.S. But in Africa, the stars are like, mm. like apples, like you can reach out and touch them. <laughs> like it was just yeah. so, and there were so many, so mm. many freaking stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, in a way, it like broke my heart. And, and I was like, I need to be in this, in this, this space of constant awe more often mm. to just remember, I don't know. I don't know what I need to remember, but yeah, it, it made me feel like God wasn't out there, that God was here, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yes, Absolutely. very genderless, you know, just like this, this thing that was away from organized religion and queer identity and, you know, all the things yeah. that, that we kind of trap God inside. God was not yeah. those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Can I just read, can I read a quote to you? Yeah. From John O'Donoghue, he said the Celts yeah. had an intuitive spirituality, informed by mindful, reverent attention to landscape. Mm. It was an outdoor spirituality impassioned by the erotic charge of the earth. Wow. Yeah, and you know, you say you say it's like genderless, but in in some traditions, like the earth is mother. You know, so yeah. um, and like uh, there's a, a lot of wells in Ireland and. Um, uh, a woman I met with took me to St. Bridget's well and she said it's kind of like encountering like water that comes up um, from the womb of the earth. So it's engaging with like um, the symbolism of female bodies as well. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something that we don't, yeah, it's something that we don't find in, you know, normal Christian religion because the body is sort of like put aside or denied. Yeah. How how much of that are you going to be able to um, verbalize and put into your book? Oh my god! The more we talk about this, I'm like, how the hell am I going to put this <laughs> island thing into one chapter? God damn it! I don't know. I don't know. But I do want to like it's going to be a personal narrative. Yeah. Um, and I do want to incorporate a the landscape and b my body, as in just you know the way I feel in certain scenarios. Um, in order to um, include those senses um, mm-hmm. and to like make sure they're um, part of existing and moving through the world. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, I think I'm a bit more gathered now. <laughs> we launched. Guys, we freaking did it. Our Bible app is available on Android and iOS, and I am so proud to tell you that. As such, we don't have any other sponsors except our Bible app during this episode, so you better go download it. I can't say it enough. And once you download it, I need you to do two things for me. I need you to subscribe to get rid of the ads. And then I need you to go to the shout out section of the app store and give us a shout out. In two weeks, we'll be rolling out the chat section. And in that section, you'll be able to talk to your friends. But until then, the best way to let people know about the app is to rate it. Give us a shout out. Let us know what you think about it in those app stores. Hopefully, we'll get all five stars. Um, one of the, a couple of the things that you, I was reading, mm -hmm. um, that you are curious about mm -hmm. discussing are not just the gender of God, but woman as inferior. Yeah. It's pretty big, isn't it? It's pretty big. It's big. It's big. Yes. And in that there's also the fear of the female, of female sexuality, which is like mm -hmm. something that, that bothers me a lot, um, because yeah. that's all wrapped up in like purity culture and this mm -hmm. idea that women have to hide their bodies in order to make it okay for men. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's so, so much in here. I mean, really, um, I, we could go on about this forever, but I will touch upon like how we have the dualism of genders. So, yeah. because, and this kind of does funnel down from Greek philosophy from what I know is that um, the male is, you know, reason, logic, and the and the mm -hmm. female is like um, emotions and sort of that sort of like um, more carnal nature as well. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and within that, if there's if we encounter and if we encounter this the genders through dualism, it's like one domin one dominates and one, you know, submits. Mm -hmm. So, and that's how we see the um, idea in complementarianism as well. Yeah, it's very cookie cutter. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, it's uh, it kind of it plays out in so many different ways. So, example for an example here in Ireland, where um, even though the church is very much losing its authority due to the sexual abuse scandals that came out in oh, yeah. the nineteen nineties, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, there's still quite a strong history of um, of control and and one that had complete disrespect and towards female bodies. Um, so, for example, there's this uh, these places called Magdalene laundries, and Ireland's not the only place in the world where these existed. There were some in Australia as well, mm -hmm. and so uh, they uh, were places where women who became pregnant without being married went oh. to have their babies. Um, so in Ireland, uh, fallen women is what they were called. <laughs> um, oh. They were just uh, meant to go away somewhere and and, yeah. <laughs> and just like disappear essentially yeah. um, if they became pregnant without being married. Who knows what happened to the men? They had no physical evidence of their sin. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, they were all virgin, virgin Marys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> apparently. Um, and so like women were essentially punished, yeah. although, yeah, this word wouldn't have been used by, um, being sent off to an, you know, a distant relative's house where they would be kind of like forced into the house for a while. And by the way, this is like, you know, 
years ago, this wouldn't happen so much now in the same way, you know, yeah. like I'm talking about, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, so like Magdalene laundries were places where um, women would go to convalesce, I guess, until their pregnancy, but they would also work in these laundries and they were run as businesses oh. and these places were controlled by nuns. So they were religious yeah. organisations and institutions which um, – uh, yeah, uh, made women work for slaves, essentially. They were meant to be working for their keep. And there's horrible stories of abuse and mistreatment, neglect, and sometimes, um, I'm not sure in all circumstances, but, like, once the babies were born, the women would stay there. The, um, in in these cases, I think maybe, I'm not sure if the children stayed with the mums or were kind of, like, adopted out sometimes illegally or, like, given away to fostered to other local families, that sort of thing. Um, so this really incredible sordid history of these laundries, which um, had this cycle of uh, imprisoning women, literally. Yeah. Um, and the last one I heard from a friend who's um, like a, a feminist who was explaining this to me was she told me that the last one closed in the 1990s. <laughs> it's incredible. I know. Wait, yeah. what would they do with the babies afterwards? Ah, oh, look, um... I don't know, but That's a, a similar question, a similar but... example was a, a mother and mother and baby home that I encountered in a place called Shum, and Shum it's spelled T U A M is this um, little town north of Galway, um, but you might have heard or read about it in the New York Times because there was this incredible story where a um, mother and baby home that existed there run by French nuns called the Bon Secours nuns mm-hmm. from 1936 to 1961. Um, it was similar, but there was no, like, laundry. Women would just go there to have their babies and the, then the babies would stay there and, or, like, hopefully get adopted or something, but the mums would leave. And so um, I went to Tshum because uh, what happened was that a local historian um, was looking through the death records because she was exploring some, like, family history and found that there were all these, death, like, um, death records for um, babies and small children um, 796 children had died in that home between 1936 Ooh. and 1961. So they were wow. either neglected, they were starved. I'm Ooh, not wow. sure if it was – no one's made um, clear statements about whether it was on purpose or not or whether it's like they just were treated horribly. Um, but there's a – yeah, but so this historian found that and they were actually um, – uh, it was it's really horrible. Like they were buried in these um, unused septic tanks on the grounds of the convent of, oh. of the mother and baby home. Yeah, yeah. And now there's a housing estate built on top of it. So I went to the memorial. And when I went there, Crystal, it was pretty crazy. The, um, I came upon these two men who were putting up a Christmas tree at the memorial and they were um, lighting a Christmas tree that night to remember all the 796 babies that had passed away. Yeah, and one of them was a survivor of the home. He'd been born there. Huh. I returned later that day about 4.30 because that's how early it gets dark here, 4.30 p.m. <laughs> um, and I was, like, smoking. There was mist um, falling in and the, the, the sky became, like, a sort of dark blue and all these people came who had survived the home. Like, I spoke to a man called PJ who said he was born there in – um, every week his mum knocked on the door and asked for her baby back, but the nuns were like, we're not, he's not here, we're not giving you, him him to you. So there's – and he was adopted out. and wow. um Yeah, yeah, and he, he didn't find his birth mother until he was in his mid-20s, I believe. 
Um, Why did you decide yeah. to go there? What a creepy place. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I just went on a tangent because it's such an incredible story. Um, hmm. So the reason why I find that incredibly interesting is because it's just indicative of the church's attitude towards Ooh. women um, because of, you know, women who – and women who have sex, essentially. Women were punished for having sex. At the end of the day, that's what it was. Yeah, and men were let off scot-free. It's a complete double standard, absolutely. So it's, you know, the idea of – you. Yeah, it's like the um, the virgin or the whore dichotomy. Like if women mm. aren't pure and saintly and beyond sex, then um, they're you know whores to use that horrible slur um, as and that need to be punished. Yeah, which is you know purity culture at its core. Even though in the U.S. Yeah. it's wrapped differently, mm. Um, mm. but it's it's the same thing. Women are somehow dirty and mm -hmm. men are pure regardless mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. they they do and get themselves into yeah. I'm just like like right yeah. now we have this whole like me too thing um mm -hmm. sprouting up all over the u.s where mm -hmm. women are talking about how they were harassed by men um mm -hmm. sexually and how you know much work we women have to do in mm -hmm. order to uh, keep up this, this charade that men aren't doing anything wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. in any situation, we women have been uh, working emotionally to not lead a man on or mm -hmm. um, to make them think anything other than, you know, we are just friends or we are just coworkers or I don't know you, sir, on the side of the street. You know, like there's just so much work that goes into having to wear something uh, not too revealing, you know, or yeah. you know, having to uh, guard your body language or having to make sure that you mention that you have, you know, uh, a boyfriend or, you know, or a wife or like whatever. And it's just so much work. And meanwhile, mm. men on the other side are just kind of just like, you know, uh, um, I guess theoretically, um, Theoretically, uh, man spreading everywhere with their feelings. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Anyway. And it's so true that women have to work harder to make sure things don't happen, is because we're punished so much more yeah. if we are discovered to have sexually transgressed. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, so because we sort of represent, um, while men represent like sort of reason and logic and higher nature, women are in in this sort of like foundational understanding in our religion, women are kind of like the body and the, and the sort of base of nature mm -hmm. um, that, ne that needs to be dominated by the mind, you know, because, you know, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, that sort of thing. Like yeah. the spirit needs to dominate the flesh essentially is the ideology that we come across. And so, and also because we give birth. So we're the ones that um, have that sort of like intense bodily experience. Mm -hmm. So we, we represent that, the lower nature in, yeah. in this idea. And that is seen as evil. And therefore women, like not directly, but indirectly are seen as evil in, in many understandings of this. Yeah, no, women are seen as um, the tricksters, right? Like yeah, we yeah. are the ones who, um, with our womanly wiles, will deceive men and throw our curse over them or you know, get them interested in us when it's like we're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. This is so true. Too complex.
So did you get funding to to write this book and to go travel and do the damn thing? Not yet, but I hope to. <laughs> um, I've applied for a few grants and um, I'm working on a book proposal. So I really hope uh, someone will pay me money to do it. I'm yeah. a freelance writer as well, so I'm getting some money on the road. But I think I might have a – I'm probably going to start a Patreon account in case yeah. anyone's interested and they can contribute. Who knows? But really I'm just uh, – depending on the divine providence. Like, I'm not even lying. I'm just, I know this is a thing that I'm meant to be doing and I'm following it and trusting that I will be provided for. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's magical. I'm sure people will want to contribute. How would they even um, do that right now if they wanted to? Or could they reach out to you? Oh, well, um, I'm launching my new website next week. It's louiseoma.com. Mm-hmm. and uh, I'll probably have a Patreon account for that. I mean, I would be very humbled if anyone would be kind enough to contribute. Um, yeah, or I've got a, I've got an Instagram account as well for my book, which is holy underscore woman underscore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's where we can find some of my journeys. Yeah. So people can follow you as you make your way around the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're going to Turkey and Bulgaria, mm-hmm. Saudi yep, Arabia, um, which should be really freaking interesting. <laughs> yep. So I'm glad that you said that now because now the world knows I'm going to Saudi Arabia and I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so terrifying. <laughs> um, I'd like to make my way to Kenya as well. Like I really, I can't, obviously I have to have an, can't go everywhere, but yeah. I just also want to expand beyond, you know, just the white middle-class experience as well mm-hmm. so Kenya yeah. Kenya's pretty fascinating actually yeah there's yeah what do, what do you know about Kenya well there is a different culture in like Nairobi which is the capital mm-hmm. um but then if you go to the coastal city Mombasa um mm. I mean it's like it's like two completely different worlds at least when I was there wow um, but but yeah, still um, very patriarchal. So when I was in mm. Kenya, I was there for a um, an internship at the Kenyan mm. Women's Political Caucus. And mm. it was right after some post-election violence because it was the first time in their history where women had run for offices. And Really? Yeah. And these women uh, who, who were running, um, they would go out into the bush, um, into the villages, to campaign and they would get raped and attacked. Um, their aides would get raped um, and just harassed because the men did not want women running, but they were going to do it anyway because it was legal. Um, That's incredible. And this caucus was uh, supporting them and giving them campaign funds and materials to to, to do it. Um, and mm. then when women won the offices, there were instances where the men, the husbands, would say, no, you can't go out there and actually participate, you know? Mm, You can't actually mm -hmm, do your mm -hmm. job. I'm going to do it for you. So the men would basically take their wives' jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some crazy stuff, man. Um, Yeah. And my job was to document all of this. 
um, it was it was a pretty crazy time. I had so much wow. fun though. Kenya is beautiful. Yeah. 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 I've I've got a friend there who's um a freedom fighter, um, and mm. I swear she'll be president one day. So that's <laughs> awesome. So that's who you're staying um, with. <laughs> yeah, but I'll have to like um hit you up for some info about that because that sounds really fascinating, Crystal. Yeah, if there's any way I can make a connection for you, I'd love to. All right, we'll talk about that later for sure. Seriously. Yeah, okay. Um, and then you're going to Mexico. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a kind of like a worship of the Virgin Mary that's very localized called um, oh. like Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah. She's sort of like a localized version of um, the Virgin Mary. And the story is that um, when the uh, when Mexico is like kind of colonized in a way um, – a, a local man, uh, what's the story? A local man, the Virgin Mary appeared to a local man and, like, uh, I think, like, roses fell from her pockets. I've probably got this legend wrong. But anyway, there's this, like, beautiful legend of the Virgin Mary appearing to a local man and he painted a picture of her and then she is worshipped in this place, like, very specifically in Mexico City. Yeah. However, what um, that points to is that uh, the story of the Virgin Mary was sort of, like, appropriated from a, a story of a local goddess. And this is a thing that um, Christianity has done as it's colonised parts of the world, and I can see this in Ireland as well, is that stories of local goddesses have been transformed into Christian stories that fit somewhere within um, Christian theology in some small way. Hmm. So it's a way that um, women have been simultaneously uh, incorporated into Christianity, but sort of a lot of their authority and greater power and character is removed wow My, yeah i uh in the earlier episodes um i had a co-host alba on and mm -hmm. she got her mdiv um and her the thesis was about our lady of guadalupe Oh my gosh, I'm totally going to hook her up. You are very good to me, <laughs> You should talk to her. You yeah. should talk to her. Actually, I think she goes by uh, gender-neutral pronouns at this point. But oh, sorry. I, 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 how would you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they wrote a really comprehensive thesis about it. I couldn't, mm -hmm. at the time, make heads or tails of it just because, you mm. know, we evolve in our spirituality and our ideas. And if you're not evolving, there's something wrong. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so maybe if I read it now, it would mean a bit more to me. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look them up. Wow. So how did you find all of these? I mean, have these ideas and thoughts been brewing for years? Well, okay. I guess so. Um, so <laughs> I've always been a feminist since I've been an adult. And so I've always kind of had that perspective towards my, like my religion, but, mm. um, Ever since I uh, started preaching, was asked to preach at my church a few years ago, I really started reading feminist theology, and therefore looking at alternatives to way to the way we understand God. Yeah, I, I guess a feminist reading. So like, um, Mary Daly is a big writer. Um, Rosemary Radford Rather, <laughs> um, she's a really good one, um, and there's heaps of other foundational books. Um, and so encountering all these different, uh, you know, points of like in Mexico, in Kenya, um, I'm just really doing a whole lot of research and seeing what seems to really resonate, mm -hmm. um, and, and can also, uh, explore certain particular ideas of feminist theology as well. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much there because women have been, you know, uh, doing things on the boundaries of things forever and, mm-hmm. you know, ensuring that there's beautiful places for their for their sisters and daughters um, to be able to, you know, worship in, in ways that are comfortable for them. They've been doing that for thousands of years, you know, like women find a way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, that should be a hashtag, women find a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good one. <laughs> I like that. Hashtag women find a way. Yeah. Um... Lou did get her Patreon account up and you can find her, donate to her trip, or see her on Instagram with the handle holywoman. That's holy underscore woman underscore on Instagram. Or you can just go to louiseomar.com and you'll see her Patreon right there. Happy hunting. Okay, bye.